Well, good morning, LifePoint. How's everybody doing today? Awesome. So glad to have you here to worship the Lord with us this morning. If you're new and visiting for the very first time, if you wouldn't mind texting that word, welcome to the number on the screen, 406-219-0314. Promise not to bombard you with all kinds of information, but I say this every week, but it's so important. Church is all about relationships, amen? A relationship with God, a relationship with each other. And so we would love to get you on track with that. Hey, a couple quick announcements before we jump into the scriptures. Uh, one is our building project. Uh, you see, we're doing some stuff in the lot here. Uh, uh, cleaning up the swamp. We have a swamp. Yes, we have a swamp. It's called Life Point Lake, and uh, it is no longer there, and uh, for good reason. But uh, we're cleaning stuff up and expanding our parking lot as well, in hopes of future growth as well, uh, because we are expanding. Uh, we're going to expand our auditorium here uh, in this space, uh, add about eighty to hundred seats, and we're also going to expand out the east wing at a forty-four hundred square foot. A facility there for our kids' ministry. And so we're excited about it. You can learn about that by going to our website, lifepointmt.org slash building expansion, and you can find all kinds of cool images and information. But we need you to partner with us. Uh, we need you to give if you can give and just ask the Lord, God, how would you have me to give? What would you have me to do? Uh, and be a part of what God is doing here in East Helena as we seek to uh, reach further. But super excited about uh, moving forward with that. But hey, real quick, I'm going to invite J.D. Polson, our youth pastor, to the stage this morning. He's going to talk about Summer Camp Opportunities. Welcome to the stage. Sweet. Hi, everybody. I'm JD. Uh, so we got these flyers out here for our summer camp. It's going to be June 28th to July 3rd at uh, this camp called Quaker Hill Camp in Idaho. But I'm really excited about it. You know, they have, like, tubing and all sorts of, like, you know, the typical, like, camp stuff. But I'm excited to take our students there because at other churches, like, whenever you do the Christian summer camp, like, I have yet to see a student not have their life changed or affected by Christ in some way. You know, you'll have like a student who is on fire for the Lord come, but then something, God does something in their life. But then we'll also have like the guy who comes and he's only there because his girlfriend's making him come kind of thing. But then like at the end of the week, he's like crying. He wants to accept Christ. He's like, can I get baptized? Like, can we like rent a kiddie pool and like get baptized in that? Which actually happened when I was in high school. But yeah, so... If you're a student and you're like, yeah, I want to, you know, experience Christ and have fun in a camp, like, you should sign up. If you're a parent and you know a student or grandparent and you want them to come, sign them up. And, yeah, they're out. We have these out on the welcome table. So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, J.D. Big, big proponent of summer camp. Uh, God did a lot of amazing things in my life personally. I surrendered to ministry, full-time ministry at a Bible camp. And I met my wife at summer camp. I mean, you never know what God's going to do, right? So uh, awesome opportunities for your students, uh, whether it's your students or your grandkids, uh, to go to a camp and just kind of unplug from, you know, the world a little bit and uh, listen to the Lord. And so I want to encourage you to, you know, take, uh, take some time, get some information about that. If you have questions, talk to JD. That same camp in uh, uh, McCall, it's in McCall, Idaho. Quaker Hill, we used to take our students from Bozeman to that camp for years. And it's a great, great facility, great camp. And uh, you're, you're not going to regret uh, making that decision to send them to go. But uh, excited about that. James chapter one, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to jump into our uh, James study back into the book of James. And I just want to take a little bit of time to kind of maybe reintroduce you. We've taken a week, talk about Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and reorient our thinking, our minds. What is James all about? Like, what is the goal? What is the purpose for James writing this book? And that is this, spiritual maturity. James wants you to grow. James wants you to mature in your faith. James, 
doesn't want you to be a spiritual baby. He wants you to be a spiritual adult that can handle the challenges that life throws at you. Let me tell you, James wants you to win spiritually. And so James is going to give us some awesome information, very practical advice on how to do that, how to grow, how to grow stronger. And if you were with us at the very beginning, James right out of the gate says, hey, here's one way you can grow stronger. And none of us likes it, but it's a reality for everyone. And that is this trials, right? Trials. Everybody faces trials of some way, shape, or form uh, in life. That is the reality. And we said this, that trials are actually meant to grow us and make us stronger if you let them. That God has a purpose. That God has a goal. God has a perspective that he wants you and I to have in the midst of the trial. He's like, I'm not going to take you out of every trial, but I'm going to walk with you through it. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you perspective. I'm going to give you endurance and patience to walk through the trial. And so I want to just like bring us back into that tension and that feeling this morning and ask you to think about what are trials doing in your life? What are trials accomplishing in your life today? Because the reality is that trials are either going to make you or break you. They're going to ca- either going to cause you to lean more into Jesus or lean away from Jesus. What are trials right now doing in your life? What are they accomplishing? What is happening as a result of those trials in your life? And James kind of reminds us about how to deal with them, how to deal with the trials in the perspective. And then he moves on. And, and Pastor Adam talked about this the last time that we were in the book of James, this idea of temptation. And really, when you look at trials and you look at temptation, I mean, these we would identify, at least I would identify them as like spiritual maturity killers, right? Things that are kind of seeking and destroying to kill your spiritual growth, your spiritual maturity, if you allow them to, trials and temptations. And so James gives us a little bit insight about the temptations that we all face. We all face trials. Guess what? We're all going to face temptation in life. And your temptation can be a little bit different than my temptation. But the reality for a lot of us is we blame God for the temptation. God, why'd you put this here? Why'd you place this into my life? Why, God, why'd you allow this temptation? If this temptation wasn't here, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have given into it. And James is like, whoa, 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 time out. And he reminds us of something very, very important. And that is just that temptation doesn't come from God. It comes from within our own desires. Notice what he says in verse 13. As we kind of reorient our thoughts here, he says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. He says, look, stop making excuses for the temptation that you're giving into your life, in your life. It's not God's fault. God doesn't give the temptation. It's born out of our own desires, our own flesh. And we often give into it if we're honest. And it's a spiritual maturity killer, is it not? It's the one thing that's going to stop us in our tracks is when we give in to sin, when we look at our trials and it shakes us off course away from God. These are spiritual maturity killers. And James says, I want to remind you how to deal with these things. And then James goes on a little bit further and, and kind of gives us some insight, this idea like God doesn't tempt us. God doesn't put temptation into your life. What, what does God do? And he reminds us of something very important that God doesn't give temptation, but what God gives is good and perfect always. Remember from last Sunday? I don't know if you remember last Sunday. It was Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talked about that idea in Genesis 1. What God creates is good and it's perfect always. And what God gives you and gives me is always perfect. And we fight against that 
Because we often say, God, I don't like what you're, what, what's coming into my life. I don't like what you're allowing me to experience. And James is like, look, what God gives is good and it's perfect. Check it out real quick with me in verses 16 through 18, because we need to get to verse 18 to kind of set up or where we're going this morning, because it's all connected. These aren't disjointed thoughts. This is all connected. And so look at verse 16. He says, don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Here's what you need to know about God. Everything good comes into your life. It comes from God. And boy, do we, we need to remind ourselves of that often, do we not? All the good things you possess ain't because you're so good and wonderful. It's because you have a good and wonderful God. He loves you and he cares for you and he doesn't change, right? And then notice verse 18. It says this, and this is where James kind of, kind of changes course a little bit and begins to talk about this idea of the word of God. And he says, of his own will, he, God, brought us forth by the word of truth. I want you to underline that phrase, word of truth. Circle it, underline it, make a mental note of it. It's so important. The word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. And so James says, look, I want you to understand the good gifts come from God and the greatest gift is this, salvation. The greatest gift that you and I possess is life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And James reminds us of this important truth here. And he says this, he says he's given us freedom from sins and sin and the consequence of sin. He has made life possible. He has made eternal life possible through this, the word of truth of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. It's think about this. It's literally because of the word of God that you're a child of God. Isn't that true? It's because of the word of God that you're a child of God. And, and Paul would say the same thing in Romans chapter 10, a very familiar passage of scripture. He says, so faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing through the word of God. And James says the exact same thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 10. We've been brought forth from death to life through the word of truth, the word of God. And if that's true, and this is where we're going this morning. If that is true, we've been made alive through hearing the gospel, hearing by faith, the word of God. If that is true, this is also true. The word of God has power today to change your life. Does it not? Think about it. Like if God's word is powerful enough to save your soul, don't you think it's powerful enough to impact your life today? And I know that's real easy to say amen to and agree with and say like, yeah, I'm in church. Of course, it's the word of God. It's valuable. It's important. It can change my life. It can transform my life. But the tension for a lot of us is this. We don't really believe that. We don't really believe that. Because if we did, we would value it differently. We would uphold it as a priority in our lives. We would say the most precious thing that we possess apart from our salvation are the very words of the God who created all that we see and given us life. The very word of God is the most important thing. The problem is we just really don't believe that God's word has the ability to change our lives right now. And so in the context dealing with trials, dealing with temptation, dealing with this idea of spiritual maturity, James is going to bring back into focus for us, like what gets us there? What gets us to this place so we can actually walk through the trials and walk through the temptation and grow and mature in our faith and be strong in our, in, in our faith later down the road? What is it that gets us there? It's the word, the word of God. You see, you want to deal with temptation properly. You want to deal with, 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 with trials properly. You, you want to get on the other side of those things and bec become a mature Christian this morning. You've got to come back 
to something so foundationally important and basic, and that is this, the word of God. And so let me ask you this morning to ponder and to consider, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with one of the most precious things that we could possess in this world, the very words of God? How do you view it? What, what is it that you're doing with, with it? And what kind of place does the word of God have in your life today? Let me tell you this morning, how you and I answer that question will have a direct impact upon our spiritual growth and maturity as a Christian. Bottom line this morning. And so here, here's what we're gonna focus in on. And we will call it our bottom line, our main thought that we want you to focus in on when it comes to the word of God and in putting it into our lives is this, is that doing matters more than knowing. When it comes to the word of God, doing matters more than just knowing. Doing what God's word says matters more than just putting it into your head and putting it into your mind. Because the truth is this, you can know a lot about the Bible, yet not live in light of it. Isn't that true? I mean, you can fill your head with all kinds of things about God, about the Bible, about Christianity, and not actually live it. And James this morning is going to remind us of that truth today in the following passage. He's going to remind us of the value, the importance that we would uphold the word of God and say, this is what guides my life. This is what gives me direction. This is what gives me focus. This is what centers my life is the very word of God this morning. And I think typically we kind of fall into one or two categories. Maybe, maybe there's a third, I don't know, but this is what I think and what I see is I think when it comes to the Bible, and it's just like such a topic that it seems cliche to even talk about. Hey, you ought to read your Bible. You ought to understand it. You ought to study it. But when it comes to all of those things and all of those thoughts, I think we fall into one of two categories. Number one, we don't value it like we should. And I think everyone here this morning could, could say and would say, man, I should value it more. That I should uphold it more. It should be more of a priority. Or this, we just focus on the knowing part. We focus on the study part. We focus on the information part rather than the doing part. Listen to this quote by Warren Wearsby. I absolutely love this. He said this, too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. Oh man, isn't that good? Right? Like, oh, look at my Bible. Look at the marks. Look at the highlights. Look at the under, like study, 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 study. Their, their Bibles are marked up, but the Bible never gets to their life. It never marks them. It never impacts them, right? And, and listen, the Bible ought to mark us in a way that it affects everything we do and say in life, our relationships, our workplace, our finances, everything we do ought to be marked by the word of God in life and doing matters more than knowing. It's gotta move from our head to our heart, amen? Because it's the heart that matters. It's the heart, Proverbs talks about it. As a man thinks in his heart, what is he? So is he, what you think in your mind, in your heart, it comes out in your actions. Uh, Proverbs also goes on and says that from, from the heart flow, the issues of life. And so we gotta get it from here to here. It's gotta be something that is here in order to come out into our actions. Doing matters more than knowing. So let's look at our text this morning. Uh, James chapter one. We'll look at verses 19 through 25 today, and we'll actually come back to the same passage next Sunday as well. But it says this, know this, my beloved brothers, we're coming right off of verse 18, right? You've been brought forth by the word of truth, brought forth by the word of truth. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, what? The implanted word. We're talking about the word of God, which is able to say, 
save your souls. But be doers of the word, verse 22, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently into, into a mirror and he looks and he sees himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the word of God, right? And perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There's a lot there. And we're going to break it down this morning. How do we deal with temptation? How do we deal with trials? How do we become a spiritually mature Christian uh, and not an immature Christian? We let the word of God so impact our lives, so influence our lives more than anything else, more than our job, our money, more than our relationships. And James is going to show us how this morning. How should you view the scriptures? Uh, how should you view it? How, what should you do with the scriptures? So we're going to look at three things because every good message starts with three points, right? That's the reality, right? But uh, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at two this morning, and then we're going to come back and finish two and, and look at a third one next Sunday. And that's totally my hook. And I'm going to just be honest with you, for you to come back next week, you got you to get the full picture of this passage by coming back next Sunday. But I'm going to give you just two this morning. Three things. How do we view the scripture? What do we do with it? How do we move to this place of not just knowing it and having knowledge and having understanding about God and the Bible, but actually living a life of obedience to it? Well, James has got some great insight, very practical insight. And the first is this, that we need better receptivity to the word of God. We need better receptivity to the word of God. And what that means is this, the signals have got to be up. There's got to be a signal. There's got to be uh, an acceptance. There's got to be not only hearing and listening the word of God, but that we say, God, I'm ready to receive what you have for me. And let me tell you this morning, this is a starting point. And if you don't have this, you have nothing. You can have all the knowledge. You can do all the Bible studies. You can do all the churchy things, the Christian things in life. But if you're not receptive to the word of God, it's not going to have any impact upon your life if you are not receptive. You ever been somewhere before and uh, you didn't have good reception? Yes, I have my phone in my back pocket. Don't judge me, right? But you walk around and you're like, oh man, trying to get a signal. We do this at our house because... We have terrible service, terrible data, and our Wi-Fi drops all the time. And so we're like, oh, we're like, Dad, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to send a text, right? And that's just reality. And that's frustrating, right? If you're anywhere and, and you're trying to like get directions through your map app or whatever the case might be, or make a phone call and you don't have reception, your phone is not receiving a signal, it's not working. And the same is true about your life and mine. If there's no reception, if we're not ready to receive, there's not a signal that we're saying, God, I'm ready to receive your word. It's not going to accomplish the purpose that it's supposed to accomplish in our lives. Isn't that true? And so let me think, ask you to think about this. How receptive right now are you to the word of God? How willing are you to receive God's word into your life? So important. Do you have any reception when God wants to speak to you? Let me tell you, people say like, oh, I don't, God doesn't speak to me. He speaks to everyone every day. It's in his scriptures. He's like, I want to speak to you. You just got to be receptive. You got to be receptive to it. Do you have reception, right? And listen, you can come to church, you can do all these things, but if you're not receptive, it's not going to have an effect upon your life. And so notice in verses 19 through 21, what does James say? What practical advice does he have to receive God's word? He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What's the goal? The righteousness of God, maturity, growth. That's the goal. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and do what? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Remember the context here is the word of God and the impact that it can have on our lives if we allow it to. And James gives us here all kinds of things to think about. If you want to be more receptive, here's some things that you need to consider. If you want to be receptive, you've got to be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. And in a general sense, oh boy, that's good advice, is it not? Can you imagine if we kind of lived our lives according to those three things, slow to, uh, slow, or quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger? I mean, that would solve a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of consequences in our lives if we just <laughs> zipped it, right, and listened. But James isn't just talking in a general sense about, hey, you ought to just listen, and you ought to, you ought to stop being angry. He's talking about this in the context of how we receive the word of God. You gotta be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger when it comes to the word of God and its effect on your life. So let's talk about these three things real quick this morning. Quick to hear. What does it mean to be quick to hear? Quick to hear God's word. Let me give you just maybe uh, an example or or something to think about. Raise your hand if uh, you remember the first time you took your firstborn child home from the hospital. Remember that? Yeah, so you're like, I remember that, right? You were petrified, you were scared. At least I know I was because as you got to the car and you opened the door and you put that little human being in the seat and you buckled him and she's sitting right there this morning and, and you put him in and the nurse is like, okay, see you later. And you're like, no, 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 you're coming with me because I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I'm gonna fail here, right? They won't survive. Like I can barely take, barely take care of a plant and water that, right? And this kid's not gonna survive. And that first night, you remember it well because you didn't get any sleep, right? Because at night, you go to bed and that little ball of human flesh is in a crib or in somewhere in some other room or whatever the case might be. And every time they make a peep, you're like, boom, out of bed and in the room. And you're like, is he okay? Is she okay? Still breathing, right? You're attentive. You are quick to hear because you care about that person and you love that person. And I think in a similar way, God's like, I wish you were that attentive to my word. Can you imagine if we had that kind of receptivity that we were so quick to hear? They're like, God, when you speak, I'm there. Here am I. Like, God, whatever it is you say to me, right? Remember Samuel, right? Here am I. You know, God, I'm listening. What is it? What are you saying to me? I want you to be receptive. And so I'm quick to listen. Anytime God's word is spoken, anytime God's word is read, anytime God speaks, like, I want to hear the word of God. Are you quick to hear the word of God this morning? All kinds of places in the, in the scriptures we can go to, but in Proverbs, man, so much of Proverbs talks about that idea of being quick to listen and hear God's word. Give you a few examples. Proverbs four in verse 10, hear my son, hear my son. And listen to this, accept my words. It's not enough to just hear it. I want you to accept it. He says that the years of your life may be many. It's going to have an effect upon your life. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 17, incline your ear, hear the words of the wise and do what? Apply your heart to my knowledge has an impact. And here's the opposite. Solomon says, if you don't do that, if you're not quick to hear, if you're not receptive to the word of God, notice what he says in Proverbs 19, 27, cease to hear instruction, tune it out, clutter your life with so many other things. You don't hear the word of God. He says, and you'll stray from the words of knowledge. And so many of us can relate to the strain, can we not? But the idea here is not, it's not just about listening. It's about hearing it so much so that it, it impacts your life. It's about applying it to your heart and to your life. The assumption is that it means you're doing something. And so are you quick to hear? 
Are you quick to hear? That's what it means to be receptive. And then he says that we should be slow to speak. Again, good practical advice, right? Some of us need to know that, you know, more than others. I can talk for hours. I mean, I can just talk, 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 ask my wife. But then I hit a wall. I don't know. It's like, I don't know how many words it is. But once I hit that mark, I'm done. No more words. Any of you like a morning person and you talk in the morning? How many of you are talkers in the morning? This is totally off subject. It has no bearing on whatsoever. Um, I don't talk in the morning. I grunt in the morning. I communicate in grunts in the morning, but I don't talk until I've had a cup of coffee and then I talk, then I use my words, but then I'm just like, whoo, here we go, here we go. And you're like, yeah, slow down, gosh, right? Slow to speak, slow to speak. What is the context? Word of God. Isn't this interesting that we ought to be slow to speak when it comes to receiving God's word? What does that mean? It means listen more, talk less when God's trying to talk to you. When God's trying to speak to you. You ever read something in the Bible and you'd be like, oh, I've never read something in the Bible that I didn't like. You ever read something in the Bible you didn't like, you didn't agree with, or it just didn't sit well with you. You're like, I don't know. And instead of saying to God in that moment, God, I don't know about this. I don't know if I agree with this. I don't know if I understand this. Instead of being like, God, I'm listening. I want to hear. I want to understand. You like, close the book. Mm -mm. No, no, no. I don't like that part. We just kind of set it aside. God says, you ought to listen more than speak. We ought to listen way more than we talk. Here's a few examples. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Oh boy, is that ever true, right? Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17, 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Doesn't, doesn't take a lot of commentary, I don't believe, right? And James will actually come back to this idea of our speech and our words in, in a more general sense later, but be quick to hear, slow to speak. And then he says this, slow to anger. Again, Again, huge for us, right? If we would just deal with the anger in our hearts, in our lives, but what is the context? The context is the word of God. Being receptive to the word of God requires us to be slow to anger. The word anger here is kind of an interesting word in the Greek. It's the word orge, and it means an inner deep resentment that sees and smolders and is often go, goes unnoticed in our lives. It's not that explosive, dunamis, dunamis, you know, powerful kind of, kind of explosive anger in our lives. Where we're like, whoa, throttle back, man. It's that, that underlying bitterness and resentment towards God and towards his word. And so think about this just for a moment, because this is what James is getting at here. Do you get angry at God and God's word when it confronts your sin? Because James is like, look, if you're going to be receptive and the word of God is going to have any kind of impact upon your life and you're going to navigate the trials because trials are hard and temptation, man, it's around every day. And you're going to be successful in that. You've got to be receptive and you've got to be willing to allow the word of God to penetrate your heart and convict you about areas of weakness. And you say, I hear it. And not only do I hear it, God, but I'm willing to live in light of it, right? Listen, if, I don't know if you, know, you can relate to this at all, but if you read the Bible and like, you're just like concerned about moving the mark forward, right? We're like, we read the Bible with this like intent of like getting, getting to this chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter. And we just read it with this, with this mindset of like, I just want to move forward. I just want to read more of the scriptures. And I want you to know this morning that God is not concerned about where the bookmark is. God's concerned about where your life is, but we have to concern ourselves. Where's the bookmark? Like as if God is more, uh, you know, loves us more because we read more chapters today. It doesn't work that way. It's like, I love you regardless. 
I'm not concerned about where the bookmark is. I'm concerned about where your life is. And so are we receptive to the word of God today? That's the point here. And the way we get there, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But then there's this, and you can't avoid this reality. And we'll just touch on this very briefly. But James says something in verse 21, that if you want to be receptive to the word of God, you want to allow it to penetrate your life and make a difference in your life, you've got to deal with sin. Notice in verse 21, he says, therefore put away what? All filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. How can we be more receptive to the word of God? You got to pull the weeds until the soil. Don't you love the garden imagery in the Bible? It's so interesting. We can so relate to this, but you got to deal with sin. You got to pull the weeds in your life. So basic, but yet so true in something that we need to do often and often and often because weeds grow very easily in our lives. Weeds grow easy in a garden, right? You, you got to plant a garden this year? Raise your hand. Like, do you love weeds? Weed pulling, favorite thing in the world. Man, I hate it. Like if you just plant a garden, not have weeds, it'd be like, well, I'm going to do it every year, right? Uh, but it's the worst thing uh, about a garden is pulling those weeds and just the work that it takes to do that. And let me tell you this morning, it takes work to cultivate a soul. It takes work to live a holy life. Don't kid yourself. Just coming to church does not make you a holy, mature Christian. You got to deal with sin. And you got to do the hard work of dealing with sin and pulling the weeds in life. And God says, look, once you do that, then you're, you're able to humbly receive the implanted word of God. Just like you plant that seed, you till that soil, you get it ready and you put that seed into the ground. That ground is humbly receiving that seed. And God's like, I want your life to be the same way. You have a soft heart and you have tilled up soil in your life that is willing to receive humbly the implanted word of God. And so we gotta be receptive first and foremost. Church, if you don't have that, you don't have anything. If you're not willing to receive it. And so are you receptive this morning? Here's the second thing. Not only do we need better receptivity, but we need better responsiveness to God's word because we can be receptive all day long. We can hear, we can be convicted. We can leave here and be like, oh, that was so good. And I'm so convicted from what God says. And we can do nothing about it. And God says, that's not good enough. That's not why you're here. That's not why I give you my word. It's so that you can do something. So notice verse 22. This is where this comes from. But be doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving yourselves. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. But James takes this a step further because it's not enough to just hear the word. It's not enough to be receptive to it. It's not enough to say, hey, that's true. I'm convicted uh, and, and uh, by it. We've got to do something with it. See, God's concerned with our obedience. God's concerned, how obedient are you to my word and the principles of my word? Boy, wouldn't it save us so much heartache and trouble in life if we were just obedient to God? Look at the nation of Israel time and time again. Man, if they're just obedient, the blessings that they would have lived out and the things that they would have been able to experience had they just been obedient, but they weren't. Just like we're not. And so we struggle with this, right? to live in obedience uh, to the word of God. John MacArthur said this. He said, the bottom line of true spiritual life, it's not a momentary feeling of compliance and commitment. Just saying like, I went to church one Sunday and I felt commi- uh, committed. I felt convicted. Uh, and you know, I was like, oh, I'm so committed. And then the rest of the week we were uncommitted. No, he said it's long-term obedience to God's word. And so the truth, listen, the, uh, you, know the, you know what the goal of preaching is? It's not so that you can leave here and be like, oh, Pastor John, that was such a good message. 
I love that message today. I want you to know this morning, like I don't live for that praise. That's not why I am here. That's not why I spit and froth and and, and, and am crazy on stage. It's the reason for God's word and the preaching of God's word is inspire you to live holy. It's to inspire you to live a transformed life. It's to inspire you to say like, this is what's true. You ought to seek that. You ought to live for that. No, go and do it. That's the goal of preaching. This is not a restaurant where you come and say like, is the food good? Is it bad? That's not what it's about. It's for you to hear what's true and to leave this place changed by the word of God. Be a doer of the word, not just to hear, right? Be a doer. Listen, that's one of the reasons we do life groups. We desire for you to be in community with other people where you do this. You learn to apply the scriptures to your life. That you said like, this is true. This is, this is what God's word, God's word says. Now, how do we live it? How are you living it? This is where I'm struggling. This is what, what I, I don't understand. And you gather with other people and they encourage you and they help you to apply the scriptures to your life because doing matters more than knowing. And so James says here, if you're a here, guess what you're doing? You're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself about what it means to be a true Christian. You're deceiving yourself about what it means to be spiritually mature. Listen, you're deceiving yourself if you think just coming to church and hearing a message makes you a strong Christian. It doesn't. It's what you do in between. It's what you do in the quietness of your life. It's what you do day in and day out to build character and infuse truth into your heart, into your life. I don't know about you, but the less and less I read God's word and don't make it a priority in my day and in my life, the flesh runs rampant, is it not? And so we know that we need the word of God and we're deceiving ourselves, James says, if we don't do it. Notice what he says here in verses 23 through 25. And and we'll kind of close with this and we'll come back to this section of scripture next week. But he says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently uh, at his natural face in a mirror. And I want you to know back then they didn't have the mirrors that we have today. Like if they wanted to look at their face in a mirror, like go, go down to the pond, you know, and, and see your reflection or a piece of polished silver, polished brass. If you were rich, a piece of polished gold, and you could look at that and see what you actually look like. But he says, it's like a, a guy who looks at himself intently and he looks, verse 24, at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. He looks in the mirror and he sees himself for who he really is. And he walks away and he forgets. But he says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the word of God, the the word of God is a mirror, is it not? And it shows us and it reflects to us who we really are. He says, if you're willing to look into it and persevere, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And it'll have an impact upon your life. If you're willing to look in the mirror and you're willing to be receptive to what you see and the reflection that comes back to you and what God is wanting to reveal in your life. And you respond to it and you say, God, I'm going to make a move for you. I'm going to take a step for you. Oh, you'll be blessed. What an amazing, amazing thing that God's word is. And so how responsive are you today to God's word? How receptive are you today to God's word. Listen to me this morning. God is concerned about your receptivity and your responsiveness because doing matters more than knowing. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. Would you stand as they are coming this morning? We'll pick back up at this passage next week, but let me leave you with this. The, the, how receptive are you this morning? You know, for a lot of us, we would say, man, I'm not. 
Like I don't hear, but I want to hear. I don't hear God's word. I'm not receptive. There's not a signal. I don't know. You know, maybe for you this morning, a takeaway would be this. What are the things that are cluttering your life? What are the things that are getting in, in the way of a signal? It's like, it'd be like, go hiking. And there's a mountain in the way. I can't, can't get a signal, right? So often the same thing happens in our own lives. The life gets cluttered and the weeds and all the distractions and all the busyness. And I got to do this and I got to do that. And I got to be here and I got to do it there. There's all this clutter. What if we decluttered our lives a little bit so that we'd be more receptive? If you're more receptive, you have the opportunity to be more responsive. And when you're more responsive, you can live a blessed life where there's maturity. You say, how can I ever have joy in the midst of a trial? Mm, That's how. The word of God. And it'll change you in ways you've never experienced before because God's word is powerful. It's powerful enough to save your soul Oh man, it's powerful enough to impact your life and the challenges and the hurt and the pain, the depression, the guilt, the condemnation, all that stuff that we deal with. It's able to deal with those things if you're willing to be receptive and responsive to the word of God. I I don't know this morning what you need to do. I can't peer into your soul and I don't want to, but God does and God knows. And, And he knows where you're at and he knows what your struggles are. And he's just like, just take a step. You don't have to take a leap. Take a step to be more responsive and be more receptive to what I have to tell you because I, I want to speak truth into your life and I want you to win. I want you to grow. I want you to succeed for you, for your family, for the people around you that looking into your life and saying, is it real? Is Jesus real? Does he make any difference in your life? This is how it happens by living an authentic faith that's just seen. People see the difference in how you deal with the trials and the temptation in life. God, this morning, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that God, you're willing to save us. We're so grateful for the life that we possess in you. It's not just something for tomorrow. It's something for today. And God, help us to cherish and value your very words to recognize the impact that they can have on us right now, today. Help us to lift it up, to be more receptive and responsive to it. May we be doers, not just hearers. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you worship one last time with us this morning?